And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, presented by Two True Freaks. I am your host, J. David Weeder, and this is usually a show all about Marvel Comics' Daredevil. This week, we take a little bit of a different stance. It'll tie in, I promise. But with this being the last episode before the break, and with the change in plans after last week's episode took a left turn, I saw a really good opportunity to talk about a topic that's going to be kind of a recurring topic from time to time that is not directly related to Daredevil but has a lot to do with superheroes, comic books, and just sort of the superhero genre in general. So I saw that opportunity and I decided since I had this opening in the schedule, now is the time. So it's going to be a little bit of a laid back episode as I prepare to embark on my great journey, my wonderful vacation that I'll be talking about when I return from break. Of course, I do want to remind everybody there will be no episode next week or the week after. The show will resume on May 8th with episode 86, which will be a straight shot through to 100. No breaks planned in there. Let's keep our fingers crossed that there's no catastrophe between now and then. But as it stands now, everything looks cleared out and ready to go. So I see no issues from 86 to 100. I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing for episode 100, if it's going to be a big spectacular episode or maybe just a regular episode. But what I do know is going forward, my desire post Guardian Devil is to do more pick of the week type episodes, sort of a random pick, probably some Bronze Age stuff in there. Who knows? I'm leaving that open, but that's kind of where I want to go at the moment. But we'll see where my heart is when we get there. Other than that, I don't have much in preamble. I am glad that you decided to join me, and luckily, the reactions to last week's Rage Quit, as it was said on the Two True Freaks Twitter page, have been fairly positive, so my fears of people getting angry that I just sort of stopped mid-coverage seem to be unfounded, at least for the moment. So what I'm going to do is, as per usual, take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I will be back to talk about this week's topic, which is a little bit different than what we normally talk about here. But trust me, I will tie it back into Daredevil. So enjoy the promo, and I will be back in just one moment. Sawate, my name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not. Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't. And of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. 
I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their back roll year one work, Brian Q. Miller on his back roll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the back roll spoiled the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. And we are back. Now this week I'm going to be talking about the subject of the book called The Curse of Capistrano. This was a serialized story published in All Story Weekly in five parts. It's about a masked man who fights the tyranny of an oppressive, corrupt system. It happens to take place in the Mexican rule, California. And that man in the mask is the fox, or as you know him and I know him, El Zorro. The first question you might have is, what does Zorro have to do with Daredevil? Two separate things, Dave. Where are you going with this? Well, I've been thinking a lot about doing episodes covering the history of comics, these things that are building blocks to what we take for granted as the superhero comic book genre. And for me, the superhero comic genre came about because of Superman. Well, it's not to me. That's actually what happened. Superman was the first superhero. I'm not here to talk about Superman, but I'm here to talk about the path that brought us to Action Comics number one and the Man of Steel. And to me, superhero comics are the intersection of three things. One is sci-fi fantasy fiction. The other is the comic strip and its evolution to the comic book. And the third is pulps. The serialized fiction, the type of fiction that pulps brought to the table are a big influence on what became the comic book industry as we know it. Now, as I mentioned, Superman was the first comic book superhero. There's no way around this. A lot of people want to tell me, well, it could have been, it should have been. It wasn't. He was the first merging of these three things. And from Superman, he begat Batman, which begat Green Lantern, The Flash, Charlton, another comic book company started creating characters because they saw superheroes catching on with Blue Beetle. And of course, Timely Comics saw what was going on and they created Human Torch, Namor, and Captain America, all of which would lead to the Marvel Universe and our boy Daredevil. Now with Superman, with the idea of the superhero being born in 1938... We have Zorro, who was actually a big piece of the puzzle as far as the paradigms that we see in superhero fiction. He's one of the big, important pieces of the puzzle. He formed the, well, he's one of the characters, I should say, that formed the foundation that superhero comics are built on in a very, very broad way. Now, my introduction to Zorro was in the early 80s as a small child. Filmation made an animated show that ran on CBS, I believe. That was the Lone Ranger Tarzan Zorro cartoon. That cartoon was the one that really sold me, and I thought, hey, here's a superhero who's set in a period piece. Well, as I grew older, as I learned the history of comics and the medium, I kind of realized I had that completely backwards. See, Zorro's important because he carries on to the next level what his predecessor did, and which predecessor am I referring to? That would be the Scarlet Pimpernel which was a book published in 1905, written by Emma Orsi. Scarlet Pimpernel was a spoiled, pampered, rich boy who also moonlighted as a freedom fighter against the French Revolution. Zorro takes that concept to the next level and brings us one of our first big building blocks to the superhero genre, and that is the secret identity. In his civilian life, he's Don Diego de la Vega. He's rich, he's affluent, he's part of the system, he doesn't really contribute much, He's a prance-about, work-shy fop. But of course, as Zorro, we see something completely and totally different that's kind of at odds with your perception of that character. 
What the secret identity brings to the table in both Zorro and the comic book genre, the superhero genre, I should say, is the idea of duality. One person functioning as two. By day, he's rich, he's affluent, he's lazy. By night, he is the curse of Capistrano fighting that tyranny of the Mexican government at that time. And that duality is what makes superheroes a very strong, strong idea. One that has legs up until today. And tomorrow, hopefully, if the comic book industry can get its act together. How many times have we seen uh, Daredevil's secret identity of Matt Murdock or vice versa conflict? I have to be here as Matt Murdock, but I have to save the day as Daredevil. Spider-Man, that was what it was all about, was the secret identity trying to just keep his life together while being a superhero. And that duality is also what makes it sort of intriguing for the reader. The reader could be regular kid reading a comic by day, but in his imagination, he could be Spider-Man. He could be Daredevil. That dual identity is the reader's entry point into the realm of the impossible. Sure, Superman would be considered impossible, but Clark Kent isn't. There's mild-mannered reporters all over the place. Spider-Man, there's a 15-year-old nerdy kid anywhere. Even he could be a superhero. It's that sort of tangible link to real life is what the superhero secret identity represents. And that's what Zorro brought to the table in a big way. More so, the idea of the secret identity presents this idea of hiding a piece of oneself. That there's more to a person than what we see, what we perceive on a day-to-day basis. People look at Don Diego de la Vega much like they look at Matt Murdock. Little expectation... Here's exactly what we think he's going to do because he's a blind lawyer or a rich member of the aristocracy. And yet there's something that is both organic to the secret identity as well as in conflict with it in these two characters that they want to go outside of the normal means to accomplish justice. And that idea of having a hidden part of yourself that is admirable or astonishing is really enticing. Much like the relatability I spoke about, that enticing idea that you could be something or that people are selling you short in their perceptions of you, yet there's a reality that they're not aware of. That's really enticing if you're, you know, like me as a kid. I was a little shy, a little awkward, tried to be class clown to overcompensate. And I always imagined that there was a perception of me that was incorrect, that I had more to offer. And it turns out as I grew older, I did. Now that didn't happen in the superhero realm, but I can live with what I uh, was able to accomplish as a young adult. There's that idea of it hiding in plain sight. Also keeping that nice secret that, hey, there's something you don't know about me. And of course, again, it's great fodder for character conflict. More so, though, it brings about a distinctive behavior in one guy's and a distinctive look. So as Don Diego de la Vega, Zorro was just expected to be lazy and annoying. But as Zorro, he was able to really affect a completely different personality with a different look. And that brings us to the next thing that Zorro really brings to the table. And that is the costume. By now, we know the image of Zorro. He's uh, dressed in black. He has a black mask, a black hat, and a cape or a cloak, as he has here in Capistrano. And that transition that clothes dictate change kind of originates here with Zorro at least in terms of what we are going to see down the road as the superhero genre. With that change of clothes also comes a change of identity, a change of behavior. A person is freed from their public persona and able to pursue things they wouldn't normally be able to do. For example, when Matt Murdock is in costume as Daredevil, he doesn't have to pretend to be unsighted. He can use his senses and essentially create the illusion of being able to see. Likewise, Don Diego de la Vega as Zorro is able to combat the injustice that he's working with. Both men are working outside the law, which in Zorro's case is a little bit more appropriate because the law in this case is the, t- the oppressor, the tyranny that he's fighting. 
With Daredevil, the law is something he's supplementing. In both cases, they would not be able to function in the, in the way their superhero guys works without that change of costume, without that expectation. Sure, Matt can do small things while in Matt Murdock guise, but he's free and ready to go as Daredevil. Likewise, Zuro strikes a very imposing look, and that's another piece of the costume puzzle, that there is psychological warfare involved with that. And that's another piece of the costume puzzle that Zoro put on the table, and Daredevil still works with today, is that idea of psychological warfare. You look at Daredevil in the Red Devil suit, he looks a little intimidating versus Matt Murdock in a three-piece suit, a cane, a glasses. It's a big, big difference. Much like some old bat-eared guy once said, criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot. The symbolism goes a long, long way in terms of wearing a costume. There's expectations again. For example, if Zero shows up, you know there's probably going to be a beatdown. Whereas if Don Diego de la Vega walks in, well, you're just kind of expecting him to have a drink and a few laughs. Now, characters had fought tyranny before. They'd gone outside the law. Look at Robin Hood, who opposed a corrupt regime. However, Robin Hood was essentially Robin Hood. Those were just his clothes. He was the same person consistently. Yes, originally his real name was Robert Earl of Huntington. And yes, let me clarify that. Not Robin of Loxley. Robert Earl of Huntington. Either way, Robin Hood, the expectation was the same day and night. It's Robin Hood. He's going to steal from the rich and give to the poor. One function. He was certainly not part of the aristocracy that he was opposing, which maybe caused some problems. He didn't have an in, so to speak. He didn't have the ground level view of what was happening. He wasn't really in the place of the everyman. Whereas having a secret identity in terms of Zorro or Daredevil, well, they're there, aren't they? They're not just visiting the everyman. They are the everyman until they change those clothes. And then the world changes around them. They have psychological warfare on their side. They have a symbol. And that's the next thing I want to bring to the table. Something that Zoro brought to the realm that is extremely important. That's the idea of a distinctive symbol. Superman has his distinctive S. Batman has, well, a bat. Spider-Man has a spider. Really, with... Zorro, we saw the burgeoning of the character-centric symbol. In Zorro, we saw him do three slashes with his sword in the shape of a Z, a concept that's still with the character today. And with that, there's certain degrees of power. Now, symbols have been used the world over for many, many things. Way back in the hieroglyphic era, we're still looking at symbols that represent ideals, ideas, concepts that are hard to communicate, and yet summed up in one simple glyph. And to be fair, superheroes having symbols is great marketing synergy. I mean, you could put a Superman S on a lunchbox, call it good, a Captain America shield on a pair of socks, solid two double Ds on a red pair of shoes. You've got Daredevil shoes. It's that easy. And yet what it communicates in a simple image is immeasurable. You look at the Flash's lightning bolt and you think about Flash stories as a child. You think about the concept of a man who can move faster than lightning. You see Captain America's distinctive shield. You know about patriotism. You know about a man who is ready to serve his country. And you look at Daredevil's double Ds, you know exactly who you're looking at. A blind lawyer by day, vigilante by night. Now these, in a marketing sense, work, but they also work in story because that same thought process that is applied to the marketing would be applied to those that oppose or support these characters. For somebody who Zorro is defending, the oppressed, that Zorro would be defending, that mark of Zorro, that Z, would mean the world, it would mean hope, it would mean respect, it would mean a great deal, and for those that are opposing him, that Z means, oh crap. And I know there's probably a lot of you thinking, well Dave, there have been heroic characters before, look at King Arthur. 
Look at Greco-Roman or Norse religions. These people were the great and powerful. I get it, and that's true. But the idea of a secret identity, the costume, the symbol, they all come together right there. If you talk about those three things, you kind of have your base for a superhero soup. From there, you can add whatever ingredients, a certain skill set, a certain power set, and you're well on your way to creating a brand new superhero. And these were things that Zorro specifically brought to the table. But let me add one more thing, just for fun. And that's the idea of a sort of faithful companion character. Someone who's in on the secret identity, the costume, the symbol. And that's his mute deaf friend, Bernardo. Sort of an Alfred slash Robin type character, if you will. And yes, I use that allegory specifically and intentionally to evoke Batman. Same idea. I know if anyone wants to play this argument, that's fine. That Robin Hood had Little John, Arthur had Lancelot. But the thing is, Little John knew Robin Hood. There's no secret there. They're buddies. They're partners in crime, literally. Same thing with Lancelot, except for the whole sleeping with Arthur's wife thing. And just to add to my list a little bit, there's also the consistent love interest. The Lois Lane, if you will. Who in the original Curse of Capistrano book was Alita Polito. Somebody who kind of dismissed Don Diego de la Vega because he's, well, part of the system. Not exciting. He's rich. He doesn't have any sort of direction or any ambition. Yet she swoons over Zorro, who is full of action, full of motion, and chock full of ambition to take on the California army. This paradigm kept being seen again in Lois Lane, Carol Ferris, Iris Allen, and our very own Karen Page. So there's a lot that came to the table with The Curse of Capistrano, which introduced our boy Zorro. But I gotta be honest, it's also a fairly compelling tale, and it had a definitive ending. At the end, Don Diego de la Vega is unmasked, the villain is dead, the world is a better place, or at least California is a better place. So how did Zorro become the phenomenon? How does he still exist today in various forms? Well, that goes to Douglas Fairbanks. On his honeymoon, he looked to pick out his next film, and he happened across The Curse of Capistrano, and Fairbanks decided to play the title character in a movie called The Mark of Zorro, which was released in 1920. Well, now, now that we've got a multimedia phenomenon, Johnston McCulley went on to write 60-some-odd Zorro tales. Disney, of course, made a Zorro TV series. We've seen Antonio Banderas play Zorro, as well as Anthony Hopkins, cartoons, so on and so forth. Which meant that Macaulay basically ignored the ending of his own story and decided to propagate it. Which kind of means that Zorro maybe introduced the retcon, the first continuity issue. But coming down to it, what is the draw to Zorro overall? Why is he still here, not just in publication form, because, well, Douglas Fairbanks caused it, but we've had multiple adaptations, including a really solid tale from Matt Wagner for Dynamite, I believe, which is a solid first six issues telling the origin of Zorro. So he's still around. He's still a thing. Why is that? What is it about Zorro that's just so interesting? He's a period piece, right? Why do people like myself still have a fascination with him? It's the same reason we're fascinated with superheroes. Sorry for the spoiler. The sort of ideal of freedom to be able to do what's right, even if it's not technically within the law. Something that's morally right, but do the letter of the law, would be something you would not technically be allowed to do. That being dress up and beat up bad guys. And through that, you get the ideal of being steadfast in your pursuit of justice. And that's a pretty cool feeling, to know you're right. Even if the authorities don't agree, you're in the right. You're doing the right thing. 
And let's not forget the superficial, the cool clothes, the sheer adventure that he gets into, the idea that he's leading some sort of incredible life while we kind of go to work, pay our taxes, got to get the oil changed on the car. It's escapism with a moral story. The idea of escaping into something where somebody's doing the right thing. They're going against evil in any form. And not just that, thanks to the secret identity, you're doing it in plain sight, essentially, right in front of these people, nestling in, being one of them. It's a beautiful concept, and it is the superhero concept. It's why we still like to read Iron Man. It's why we like to read Spider-Man or the Hulk. There's variations on the theme, but essentially, the idea is these people go outside the normal realm to accomplish something great. And this concept, at least in a its base permutation, starts here with Zorro. That's why I really wanted to bring this character to everybody's attention and just point this out. Now, from here, I would definitely encourage you to, again, read that Matt Wagner series for Zorro. Or, if you really want to go back, read the top series from the 90s. It was actually pretty good. The idea that adventure waits around every corner right in the middle of our real world is pretty exciting. And Zorro really did seal that. Was he a direct influence? Well, I don't know. Rich playboy that masquerades in an animal-themed identity? Sounds pretty familiar. To be blunt with you, Bob Kane directly took ideas from Zorro to inspire Batman. This is by Kane's own admission, mind you, that there was a template there that Kane worked with and inspired Batman. Now, if you want to really make a comparison of Daredevil as Red Batman, yeah, there's a direct connection from Zorro to Daredevil. However, that's a hard connection to really sell in any tangible form. Ultimately, I just wanted to bring that to the table. Again, it's a lighter than normal episode as I'm getting ready to go on vacation to Florida. I will be visiting Marvel Islands of Adventure as well as both Harry Potter sections of the park. And yeah, I'm totally down with that. I've got my wand ready. And just in case I haven't reminded you enough, when we return from hiatus, if you want to call it that, I call it a two-week vacation. Either way, whenever we return, we do begin the epic coverage of Guardian Devil, the Kevin Smith saga, along with Joe Cazada and Jimmy Palmiotti. And I'm more excited about this than I have been about Daredevil coverage in a while. And just for those that might stress about this, you'll not hear me rage quit this one. I reread it recently. I'm feeling very, very encouraged. I've picked out some special music. I've got the audio drama ready to go. So I'm looking forward to that. And then after Guardian Devil, but I'm going to bring this episode in for a landing. Again, it'll be a little bit shorter, a little bit more relaxed than normal. Don't expect that to last. I'll be back to my anal retentiveness by the time we return on May 8th. Until then, I wish you all a wonderful two weeks. And until I return, remember, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. Dave's Daredevil Podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks network of podcasts. You can find the show's home at twotruefreaks.com. Also, choose to like the network on Facebook. Simply search for Two True Freaks. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash daveweeder. And you can email the show. The address is mail at daredevilpodcast.com. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right, simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf. And you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. 
It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and keep the lights on at two true freaks at the same time. What a deal. Daredevil and all related characters are copyright Marvel Entertainment Group. All rights reserved. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not draw profit from the references to the characters herein. All music and sound clips are used for entertainment purposes. All rights lie with the copyright holder. Dave's Daredevil Podcast is a production of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Until next time, I am J. David Weeder. Thank you so much for listening.